You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. just did well you have to say hi i'm mark <laughs> hi i'm mark hi i'm jr hello i'm lee hello i'm simon and this week thanks for that mark you didn't tell That's us right. you were going to do that no. you did it really well it's all good fun isn't it you did it a lot better than you did simon good oh, that's, that's, probably, harsh. that's probably <laughs> that's probably why he did it it took you, and I counted, 17 goes to get it right last time. Yeah, with you and Lee looking at me, sniggering. Oh, yeah, me and Lee were looking at you. We didn't start snickering until the seventh time you'd got it wrong. Oh. This week, we're talking about... This week, we're talking about Doctor Who. Oh. Oh. That's a surprise. It's novel. Yeah, but last week we didn't. And This prob- week I'll have bugger all to say. And probably next week we won't be. Yeah, yeah. This week we are doing the first of three podcasts looking back at all the different distinct eras of Doctor Who. We put a notice out on our Facebook page saying that because it's it's the 52nd anniversary of Doctor Who this year and I think that's important and needs celebrating, don't you think mm. so? Absolutely. Yeah. But also it's 10 years of the new series. Ah, that's more important. That's not such a special <laughs> number as 52, though. Yeah, but this isn't about the oh, new series, so it's more about the 52 years of the classic series. Mm. Well, anyway, the point is, what I wanted to do was, because people talk about the different eras of Doctor Who, and we've done loads of podcasts where we did, like, the Graham Williams era and the sort of Barry Letts and Terence Dix era, and I thought it would be interesting, and even though it's only a very small straw poll, I thought it'd be interesting to ask our listeners to vote on the eras the same way they do with the stories when we do a season podcast so that we could find out which ones were the best loved and which ones were the less loved. And it's not really about the ones that people hate. And it's not about hating. It's about... It's really about which ones people like more. And uh, and if the ones that come down at the bottom, rather than ragging on them, what I'm planning to do is say, well, look, you know, the reasons why this era hasn't necessarily done as well are probably because of this, that and the other, rather than just saying because that story's crap and that story's crap or whatever. Yeah. Because, as I always say, nobody ever intends to make bad Doctor Who. So, you know, it's more about... Who was less successful in making good Doctor Who than it is who made bad Doctor Who, really? Mm-hmm. And because it's three-part podcast, we're going to be building up, as we always do, to the ones that did the best. And so, inevitably, this week, we're going to be dealing with the eras that got voted at the bottom. Yay! And let's not forget, no one ever sets to make a, a bad podcast. 
We we have a damn good go though. <laughs> we do. Thanks, Mark. That's all right. Anytime. Okay, so <laughs> I missed but, you. Well, actually, there were there were twelve eras in the TV movie, and for obvious reasons, the TV movie doesn't really constitute an era. So that got voted at the bottom purely and simply because there's not a lot to go on, really. I don't think it's the least loved bit of Doctor Who. I think it's just the most obviously ignored bit of Doctor Who when you're talking about eras. It's like voting for the finger bowl during a meal. Yeah, exactly. So I I don't think it's worth dwelling on that. I think we should move on to the four eras that we're going to cover in this podcast. Agreed? Yeah, go on. Agreed. Okay, I will... Well, I'll have things to say, but I'll throw out the names of the eras. And the way I've done the eras as well, I've not done it as distinctly as other people might have done, because I don't think the boundaries between the eras are quite as black and white as you might see in other guides. It's like the John Pertwee era, the Barry Letts and Terence Sticks era, which is not in this podcast, and I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying it didn't end up in the bottom four. But, for example, the Barry Letts... This is the one with the worst ones, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Mark, yeah. You can come back and you can come back for Barry Letts and Terence Sticks and tell us oh. why it's the worst. No, the, no, I love Terence Sticks. The less loved, excuse me. Yeah, the less loved, not the uh, worst ones. Yes. I love dicks. The, but the point I but the point I was yeah. That's a sound bite. That's coming from a man called Cockrum. Yeah. No, th- that's coming from a man called Cockram. You've got to pronounce it correctly, <laughs> Lee. I nearly spat my tea out. <laughs> anyway, um, I nearly on. spat my tea out. Was that a euphemism? Hey, that's my catchphrase, and I'm not happy that you keep on stealing it. I think because I'm not around so much these days. I have appropriated it. I'm not you stealing bit, it. Yeah. I I do it in loving homage to you, Cockram. Ah, oh, fair enough. <laughs> Subtle. It's I... off. I was about to say <laughs> the Barry Letts and Terence Dicks era. Instead of it being because technically, it would run from the Silurians up to Robot. And mm. most people would probably think of it as from Spearhead to Space up to Planet of the Spiders. But because the previous producer was responsible for the stories in Season 7, yeah, I've counted the Barry Letts and, Barry Letts and Terrence Dix era actually as running from Terror of the Autons through to Robot. Makes sense. Yeah, so... Uh, some of these eras aren't quite technically on the boundaries that people might expect. You'll get so, emails. I don't care whether I get emails. <laughs> if I do get emails, I'll just put them in the uh, spam account and delete them. Um, so, I'm going to name the era and tell you exactly what period I put on the Facebook page that it covers. And then I'll throw it open to you guys to have a little discussion about why you think it's not done particularly well. And the one that come bottom is, and it pains me to say this, the one that's come bottom is the Eric Saywood and John Nathan Turner era that runs, according to my calculations, roughly speaking, from the visitation to the trial of a Time Lord. Okay, without bitching about it, without ragging on it, guys, why do you think that the Eric Saywood era may have been less successful than any other? Do you think it's... Do you think it's because the listeners are actually hearing what you say now? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a distinct possibility. Mm, either that or you rig the vote. Well, no, I think it's more than that. <laughs> yeah, 
I think it's more than that. I don't think it's quite as simple as that because even if they're okay, it's obvious that it's been said enough times on this podcast and usually for humour as much as anything, but Eric Zaywood's not my favourite person who's ever been involved in Doctor Who. But having said that, I don't think the listeners are going to vote according to what I say. I think they're going to vote according to what they think. I think you're being a bit disingenuous there. So I think you're... What... Go Sorry, what, which, which uh, stories did you say it was to and from? Visitation. Well, pretty much runs from the Visitation to Trial of a Timeline. Season 19 is a bit of a funny beast because it doesn't really have a script editor. Christopher Bidmead leaves at the end of Season 18 and Eric Sayward doesn't take the job up properly until Season 20. So Season 19 has Eric Root as a kind of stand-in script editor mm. for six months. But I don't think he actually commissions any stories himself. I think he just works on the stories that are already commissioned. And while I don't think Christopher Bidmead commissioned any of the stories in Season 19, it's obviously the shadow of Bidmead that's informing how that season starts. Mm. Yeah, Kinder, Fort of Doomsday... Okay, they're a bit different from what's happening in season 18, but I don't think they're that different from what's happening in season 18. Whereas, for example, The Visitation, Earthshock, obviously very much Eric Saywood's stories, and even Black Orchid and Time Flight aren't that different from some of the other things that were going on when I, while Eric Saywood was there. So I've counted it from The Visitation onwards up until the end of Trial of a Time Lord. Well, I was going to say, uh, imagine anyone approaching this, they're not going to vote in such a way to make sure that that comes bottom anyway. I, no, exactly. I just imagine it's one of those, see, it's just a period during which people are less inspired to have some kind of devotion to it. I mean, I'm of that age where I would say, yeah, Peter Davison was my doctor. Mm. He was the one where I literally watched it from start to finish. So I would always say he's my doctor. But if you ask me to judge it on the stories, then no, it doesn't inspire devotion in, in, in a way that maybe, even though it's kind of derided, in a lot of ways, the McCoy era you w will inspire devotion from certain people who see it as the underdog and will actively say, "Well, I'm going to vote that higher." You know, so I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go second guessing what's going to happen, yeah. Simon. You might be, <laughs> you might well, be surprised. Yeah, but I what, just what stick I would to. Say is, uh, but you you will get people. You know, if you start being negative about the McCoy era, then people will come out the woodwork and we'll make a point of saying, well, actually, I think it's far stronger than you think it is. Well, but let you, me... you've probably got that for every era. I mean, this has got its strengths as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say. Individual, yeah, standalone yeah. stories that really, you know, they go down as classics. I think there are, yeah, there are some stories during the Eric Sayward period and, you know, there are things in there like the Five Doctors. Yeah. That are beloved of almost everyone, really. Mm, mm. I don't think, I don't think anybody actively dislikes the five doctors, even if they think maybe it's not so well directed or whatever. But for five doctors, generally speaking, there's a lot of love. But the five doctors is very much an odd story out in that era. And it's most unlike almost everything else that's going on. But if you look at that period from the visitation through to the trial of a time lord, for all the great successes, like Earthshock, it's also the period in which probably there's a higher score rate of the series' greatest disasters. I don't think anybody's going to... As much as some people might enjoy it, I don't think anybody's going to argue that Trial of a Time Lord is particularly successful. 
As much as some people might enjoy some of the stories, I don't think anybody's going to argue that season 20 was probably the celebration of Doctor Who that the 20th season in the 20th anniversary year should have been. And, you know, this is the period during which the seeds were sown for Doctor Who to die. This is where the hiatus happened, you know, and mm. and that it's could very easily... That could very easily have been the end of Doctor Who. So I think people are looking at this mm. period and seeing the seeds being sown for Doctor Who to die. Go on, Lee. Uh, it's, it's quite it's quite a biggie, isn't it? You could sit down here and, and look at it and dissect it like we are now. Um, obviously, as a kid growing up, like Simon said, watching it at the time, to me, some bits of it were pants. So Warriors from the Deep was a you know Warriors of the Deep was an obvious one, and so was Time Flight. Those were the two that really stood out for me as being terrible and terminus as a kid but generally speaking i enjoyed i really enjoyed this this the, these seasons and the, this whole time of doctor who um until i got to like you say the kind of colin baker section and that's when i dipped out because there's stuff that just really did annoy me they nearly killed it for me well that's so in that, here that, too I mean, of that, course sorry but that's in this period too of course it is yeah so there's a real mixture i mean you know the when you look at Peter Davison and Colin Baker, they've got two distinct flavours to them, um, even though, like you say, it was heading towards a ditch. <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, of course, if you're looking to vote in this poll, and you might say, OK, Barry Letts and Terence Dix, I didn't love everything they did, but I didn't dislike anything they did, and generally speaking, I enjoyed everything they did. And then if you look at this period here, Eric Sayward and JNT, you might very well say to yourself, well, there's lots of stuff in there that I actively don't enjoy. Yeah, I think it's a lot more divisive, isn't it? And even though, uh, well, even though it's the same script editor across the whole thing, you find a lot of people who either liked Peter Davison and his stories, but hated Colin Baker and his stories, or vice versa, mm. which is not something... This is probably the only period in the show... I mean, we're covering another one this time that kind of does the same thing, but this is probably the only period in the show where there are two pretty distinct sort of sub-eras within the mm. era as a whole. Lee, you were about to say something else. I was, wasn't I? Um, <laughs> what was it? You don't know what it was. <laughs> no, no, I'd just be interested to see um, how many people who voted, or just generally speaking... Um, have watched the series as an adult who has, who has come to it from learning about the new series, for instance, and how they feel about the old eras. It, because we're coming from a nostalgic point of view, I just find, I find it fascinating to see what people really do think of the classic series who are totally into the new series. Well, the thing um, is, when you come at it from the new series and you go back to the classics, you don't watch it in order. No, exactly. No, that's Generally true. And, you don't, and what you don't do is watch it in order in the same time scale as no, it was no. originally transmitted. Because if you lived through... Uh, this, is, this is true of the people who are not enjoying the Stephen Moffat era and the people who didn't enjoy the Russell T. Davis era. If you don't like what Russell T. Davis does, then that's the only new Doctor Who you're having for five whole years. Right? Mm. Same, And Eric Sayward and JNT, we're talking about about five or six years as well with those two. Mm. So if you're stuck in the middle of what Eric Sayward and JNT are doing and you're not especially enjoying it, and particularly as there weren't many VHS releases at the time, that's all the Doctor Who you're getting. So even if 
you know, there are some things in there that with hindsight you can see are brilliant. Things like Kinder and Snake Dance, maybe, say, from this sort of period of the show. On the whole, when you look back, your memory of that entire period will be one of dislike. Mm-hmm. Because there was lots of strange stuff. I'd be interested to know whether, we'll say, we'll never know for sure, but where they started shifting around the timings of the episodes as well, whether yeah. that had a... I wonder whether the series worked better in some respects because you had... Um, am I right in thinking it was a Monday and Tuesday, wasn't it, for Peter yeah. Davis' initial season? I think it changed around a bit, yeah, later on. But yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Mondays and Tuesdays, so you had the two episodes on top of each other. Whether that was a good thing, maybe. Well, I or think... whether it was, you know, whether it was a... Uh, you know, you got less viewers. Who knows? Who knows? But I'm just wondering if they were, in some respects, if they were weaker stories. Well, then... the thing about putting it on in midweek in a sort of 7.30-ish time slot is it positions the programme for a different audience. On a Saturday night, it was very much a kid's programme, right? Mm. And even when it was... Barry Letts doing stories that were analogies for political things that were going on in the real world. And even when it was Philip Hinchcliffe doing pretty much remakes of horror stories with, you know, Doctor Who and Sarah Jane Smith wandering around in the middle of them. Even though they sound a bit more grown up, it was still something that the kids absolutely devoted themselves to on a Saturday afternoon. Mm. But you put it on in midweek in a slot that nowadays is the EastEnders slot, right? Yeah. And even though kids might still be watching it, you're positioning it for a different audience because you're putting it on at a time where you know the adults will be sitting down in front of the telly, which is part of the reason why you've got a bunch of companions who suddenly are less just people who happen to be travelling with the Doctor rather than a job description that's travelling with the Doctor. And also, you've got to remember back then, there were only four channels compared mm. to what we have now. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so, I mean, if you had BBC One on for the news at mm. half past five, as it was yeah. at the time, you'd still have BBC One on for the news at nine o'clock. Mm. And you wouldn't change the channel in between. Unless you were like Lee and you switched over for Buck Rogers and uh, Wilma Deering. <laughs> yeah. Well... Not on a Monday evening at half past seven. Well, maybe not, no. no this but is the, the thing, thing is, they're, they're making it for a different audience. This is the weird thing. On a Monday and Tuesday, I don't know if you guys remember watching it on a Monday and Tuesday. Mm. Um, yeah. I was old yeah. enough to still be doing having to do homework and stuff, so I was kind of yeah. doing homework. Um, and then, you know, I had to kind of convince my dad that I could watch. I mean, he <laughs> liked it as well, but it's like, well, Monday and Tuesday, most of the time, Monday to Friday, once the kids' program, It helps me do my over, homework. Yeah, once the kids' programmes are over, it was adult time. You didn't really mm. interfere in the eighties, seventies, and eighties with with parents and their and their watching of TV programmes. Yeah, it's like it. that's that's adult time. Is it nationwide, so huh? nationwide was still going then. That's it? right, nationwide. Yeah, and then you kind of you know it's like oh, I can I watch it? Yeah, of course you can. And then it's the next day, and it goes, can I watch it again? It's like, well, hang on, a minute, you had it yesterday, and it's like, mm. oh, this is, it was Monday and Tuesday was just a rubbish time for Doctor Who. I really, really couldn't bear it on that time of night. So Saturday, although yeah. ratings-wise, I think it did quite well, didn't it? Certain it did versions. initially. Was, was it a bleed yeah. though in, from something else? I mean, what was on before Dot Two at that point? Well, that's the point. I don't think the ratings at the start of the Monday and Tuesday thing really reflect the program so much as they do the slot. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
You're absolutely right there. And when and it's noticeable that when it comes back to Saturdays, initially it does well because it's Doctor Who on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. But once you've got the hiatus and it comes back on Saturdays, you know, 18 months later, people just didn't bother anymore. The ratings yeah. halved. It did halve, but that's, oh yeah, I think people have moved on, grown up, moved away from it, whatever. Well, but that's I do, it. I do remember on that Saturday when it came back, I remember watching it. <clears throat> with the beautiful opening sequence, which was unbelievably Star Wars, which is so gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and then the next thing you see is, is Colin Baker start, step out with the same coat and, you know, Bonnie Langford, and you think, hmm, what's happening now? <laughs> you haven't learned. <laughs> I haven't learned, yeah. But um, obviously I love Bonnie Langford now, but at the time it's like, eh, this is the wrong direction for Doctor Who. But you, made, a, you, you made, almost a made a effort to watch it, and I still liked watching it on a Saturday night, and I watched the trial all the way through on Saturday nights. And you can do it, because it's Saturday night. Nothing else is happening apart from sport, and then, you know, that's it. Sport, Doctor Who. And by that point, I was the only one in the family who knew how to use the video recorder. Hey. Knowledge is power, Simon. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Right, okay, rewind a few minutes. Somebody almost made a good point then. (laughs) No. Was that me? I don't know. Yeah, but you didn't realise, so you moved on. Jay, I was talking about himself in the third person again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, no, you said, by the time the Trial of the Time Lord came on, people had grown up and moved on. Yeah. And that's, and that's it. When Doctor Who's on on a Saturday night, and all the kids in the playground are talking about it on a Monday morning, and it's and it's in that slot on a Saturday night that's a great slot for the kids because you go out and you play on a Saturday afternoon and then you come in and you have your tea while you watch Doctor Who. And it's it's not just a tradition, but it's actually... When you're young, you kind of have a routine, right? Yeah. And it's Saturday night is a night of the week that is not the same as any other night of the week, whether no Doctor Who's on day. it or not. Yeah, no school the next day. It's the only day of the week where there's no school that day and no school the next day. Mm. So it is purely, so it's Saturday evenings are purely enjoyment. Entertainment, yeah, yeah. You throw Doctor Who into the middle of that and it's a very heady mixture. You stick Doctor Who on on a Monday night and it's school the next day and it's on later. Mm. It's on at bedtime rather yeah. than on at tea time. And you do it two nights in a row but you don't have it for the next night and the next night and the next night after that. And there's no routine to get into. Yeah, exactly. So when you say the kids had grown up and moved on, that's because the program's not regenerating new audiences. Mm-hmm. Throughout the 60s and 70s, it's regenerating new audiences with every new batch of kids who are turning six or seven or whatever. Every every new batch of kids who turn six and every year there's a new batch of kids turning six so you regenerate in new audiences all the time so when you move to a monday tuesday night slot with season 19 you're catching a different kind of an audience you're catching grown-ups but and, and you're still retaining the kids but as those kids grow out of doctor who because this is what happens those kids grow out of doctor who and you expect the next lot of kids to get into Doctor Who, what happens is that batch of kids grow out of Doctor Who and that's all the kids in that sort of annual generation. The next batch of kids come along and only half of them are watching it. So the audience, the the regenerating audience is shrinking. And the adults themselves, they're expecting something like a 30-minute sitcom, 
in that slot, you're expecting a 30-minute yeah. sitcom or a light drama, what would become eventually the soap operas. Mm. So the adults are probably looking at Doctor Who and thinking, I remember this from when I was a kid. My God, I can't make any sense of it. It's not like it was when I was a kid. I remember when it was, you know, mummies walking around and Daleks and stuff like that. And now you're seeing weird stuff like Fort of Doomsday and then things like Black Orchid. And you're probably thinking, this isn't Doctor Who the way I remember it. So you kind of, you're losing half the kids and the adults themselves. You're not catching the nostalgia properly. And the audience, the audience is, they probably, like I said a minute ago, you're catching a viewing figure for the time slot rather than an audience or tuning in specifically for that. And although the viewing figures are fairly um, similar throughout the Peter Davison years, you're probably finding that as those years go on, that audience is kind of mentally tuning out of the programme and reading the newspaper while they wait for the next thing to come up. I'm exaggerating, but in you get my point. I, I do wonder whether if they were going to you know, really insist on having a week time slot, they should have stuck with the same slot that the five faces of Doctor Who had taken up, because I thought that worked really well. That you've got well, that the end was... of the schools program, and then you know the news comes on, and the kids, you know, there are families where they don't want to watch the news, so they turn mm-hmm. over. And I think was it was it something like quarter to six or six o'clock or something like that, wasn't it? When the half um, past five, like I think. Yeah, five thirty-five, I believe, because it ran out to six best o'clock. Thing ever. Well, it's still tea time. Yeah, mm. And you're right, it's just after the kids' programmes are finished, so you catch the kids. Trouble is, that would involve sticking it on BBC Two and your audience would quarter. Mm. Moving it on to a weeknight slot was a disaster. Mm. And although it didn't seem like it at the time, because the viewing figures were pretty strong at the start and stayed pretty strong up until they moved it back to Saturdays, I don't think that tells the whole picture by any stretch. I think... I mean, this is just a personal opinion, but I know I was tuning out of Doctor Who. I was still watching it, but I was enjoying and understanding it less and less. Mm. It was for the hiatus, hiatus, (laughs) hiatus, the hiatus, rather. Um, It was 18 months, right? Yeah, which is basically only six months longer than it should have been anyway. So So it just but it felt longer. Uh, maybe because of all the stuff going on in between and the cancellation of a, of another season and all that sort of thing. But this seems to me, I mean, this in hindsight, obviously, um, would have been a great time to really, really start it afresh. You know, it could have been a time or a period to really reflect and think about it. You know, maybe the hi- maybe the actual gap should have been longer. Maybe it should have been two years, two and a half years. And, you know... Grade should have talked to JNT and they should have said, "Look, okay, look, why don't I just have a real reboot of this or, or kind of restart it, make it fresh, um, and all that kind of thing." Even you, do you Colin think JNT Baker. was so scared they were going to try and bin it that he was worried if so. he didn't bring it back, they would never bring it back? Yeah, possibly, but also the fact is that if you're going to bring it back after 18 months, I, you know, he was obviously quite happy having Colin Baker back, having the same kind of format of Doctor Who's uh, that, that it's always been uh, even though they had to take it off air or we got taken off air to, to have a rest you know he's supposed to be um, bringing it back and making it better and making it last longer except he brings back this trial thing which is complete nonsense the whole thing well, just obviously is, didn't work yeah. and like you say the you know the ratings definitely weren't there and I think he didn't realise or they didn't 
consider the thing that you just said and I said that people would float away from it and not necessarily come back. You need something to come back to. Just to start it exactly where you left off is not enough. But this is with hindsight now, isn't it? And, yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's easy with to the say. benefit of hindsight, you'd you'd get Andrew Cartmel in yeah. on season twenty three, yeah. and you and you'd keep Colin Baker. Colin Baker would fit wonderfully in the season twenty four stories. I think they're much more appropriate for his Doctor mm. than what he had in seasons twenty two and twenty three. Strangely, we we're um, we're coming back to those John Ridgway um, comic strips again, aren't we? To show mm. that how that could work. Well, exactly. You stick Colin Baker in Andrew Cartmel, and it's not that dissimilar from what the Sixth Doctor is doing in the comic strips. Yeah, yeah. But you stick you stick a Bolshe Doctor in Bolshe stories, and everything just seems unnecessarily aggressive. You yes. stick a you stick a Bolshe Doctor in quirky stories, mm. and you know it's okay. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to fit, but I think with hindsight now. I look at Colin Baker's Doctor and think he would have been great in Paradise Towers or Delta and the Bannermen. I think he would have been fantastic in those mm. stories. Mm. Yeah, that would have suited. I thought that. That's, that's, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, quite... it's a shame that any era has to come bottom, but yeah. you can kind of see why it has. I mean, on the plus side, you did get Doctor in Distress out of it, so it wasn't all bad. <laughs> and so we'll move on to the story, <laughs> the, the era... <laughs> I don't want to stick with this too long. It sounds Whoa. like we're sticking the boot in. Shall we move on to the, the, yeah, the era so. that came second bottom? Oh, can I just say um, oh, that uh, Doctor in Distress, that Hans Zimmer played on that track. Yeah, He's, this yeah. is true. Hans he Zimmer, wrote the, the music ma- for it. Yeah, probably. I don't think he wrote the entire music for it, did he? I think no, so. I think he played keyboards, but I don't I think, think he, he wrote it. Oh, he yeah. played on it. I thought he'd written yeah. it, helped no, write it. What's lovely considered as music, as Dan Barrett put it. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. And the the era that came second bottom, running from time in the Rani to survival, is the Andrew Cartmel and John Nathan Turner era. Mm. And this is... Yeah, but this is purely, I think, because people have bad memories of the time. Or is it perceived fan (laughs) wisdom as well? Well, yeah, partly perceived fan wisdom. I think... But also it's because of the cheapness of the production. I think sometimes it's hard to get... You know, Simon's always saying what a dreadful opening title sequence it is, and that's only... And he's not talking about the content, he's talking about <laughs> the form. He's talking about how cheap it looks. Yeah. Because actually the content's not that dissimilar from some of the things that Stephen Moffat's done lately. Mm. Yes. If and you, it's, the yeah. same with the, it's the same with the stories. If, for example, and actually you look at them, and it doesn't look that bad. But if something like Survival or Ghostlight or Curse of Fenric had the same production values as the Talons of Wang Chiang and Planet of Evil and Pyramids of Mars had, can you imagine how amazing they'd look? Mm. They've got some decent directors doing wonderful things. With I think by some... that point, they're fighting a bit of a losing battle. You know, No matter how inventive or uh, creative they can be, if they're actively working against... The powers that be above trying to shut it down. It's, there's only so much you can do. Let's, yeah, absolutely. And, and let's not forget the technolo- technological age was moving so fast where during the 60s, 70s, Doctor Who was way ahead of the game. And by that point, it was moving so fast that it, it was it was looking dated before it even, they'd even done it. You know, all, all the big movie 
film companies would had all the up to date stuff. So it was always, you know, it's going to fight a losing battle in some respects. And it's a sh- again in hindsight, yeah. you'd think, right, let's go back to the drawing board and do something maybe a little bit more thought out and maybe a little bit more subtle rather than trying they, to play the same game as you know i think they do- did i think you look at paradise towers and um the happiness oh, was, patrol and I'm probably thinking more of the titles and some of the presentation really as opposed to the stories themselves I don't no that's what i'm saying you look at paradise towers and they've and the happiness patrol and Ghostlight, and they've kind of made a virtue of how little money they've got by yeah. making mm. something that looks that looks fairly special and not being over ambitious in what they're trying to do with it. Mm, mm. But I think that you know it failed for a lot of reasons. There's a, there's a whole pot of things that you could stick in it. One is Sylvester McCoy, and I love him. By the way, I think he's great. But you know anybody who isn't a Doctor Who fan looking from the outside in, and I've had this all my life where people have said, "Oh, Sylvester McCoy is rubbish." Simple. That's all it is. That's talk. That's coming from people who are not Doctor Who fans. They just don't like Sylvester McCoy, nor did they like Colin Baker that much. Just, just public perception. It is actually he is actually a great Doctor. People are, you listen. You listen to Big Finish. And you know how good the guy is. He's really people really good. are. People are looking at it every week and saying that's not Tom Baker. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Do you know what? Mm. You know, yeah. the seventies had. You know, it just like we always say this: the the planets were in alignment; they were in the right place at the right time. Everything just worked really well. It had gravitas. It was almost beyond. It was a beyond a children's program at certain points. It just had a really good thick, you know, kind of BBC, um, you know, costume department working really, really well. Not a thick costume department. <laughs> it had a lot, a lot of layers to it. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, well, the costumes, you, yeah, <laughs> they really did. But uh, you know, visually, it did. As but well do you not as, think there was? Sorry to butt in, but do yeah. you not think there was a quite a difference between early McCoy and the later? Yeah, there is. I think he definitely. But by the time you get to the later stuff, yeah. your audience has already tuned out. You've yeah, it's got a shame. every week during the nineteen seventies. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll tell you from my perspective, but I think I probably speak for other people too. Every week throughout the nineteen seventies, when Graham Williams is in charge, I'm thinking. This is not Robots of Death, but next week it might be. Every week during the Andrew Carmel era, I'm thinking, well, this is ro- not Robots of Death, and there's no chance it's going to be Robots of, robots of Death next week either. Mm. And you kind of miss the fact that actually, in spite of the cheap production values, and in spite of the fact that you've got Sylvester McCoy there instead of Tom Baker, mm. you have got stories that are almost as good as Robots of Death. And you miss that because you're only looking at the surface at this point. And the audience has diminished so much and the goodwill towards the series has diminished so much that you're less forgiving. Mm. When you're enjoying... for our age group. Sorry. Yeah. To in. Well, I was for our age say... group, we got to those sort of teenage years and it. I know Doctor Who for a long time wasn't that particularly cool to like, but, you know, you had a sort of hardcore fan base of kids who really loved it but by the time you get to your teenage years it just that gets really important and it's quite naff and it just gets embarrassing to watch but even more importantly and going back to what i was saying just now Hmm. when doctor who's on on a saturday night and it's generating a new audience every single year you stick it on opposite coronation street which is even worse than when Peter Davison was the Doctor. When Peter Davison's a Doctor, it's not generating new kids anymore. Mm. You stick it on next to Coronation Street, 
And not only is it not generating those new kids, a lot of those kids don't even have the possibility of having access to it. Mm. If it's on yeah. a Saturday night, you can try it. And if you don't like it, if it's not for you, then okay, you leave it. If it's on a Thursday night opposite Coronation Street and your parents have lost all goodwill towards it, yeah. having lived through the rest of the 80s and not understood a bloody thing about it, <laughs> by the time it gets to this period, it's like the kid doesn't even get to say, oh, Doctor Who's on, I'd quite like to see that to find out what it's all about. It just The question doesn't even come up. We're not quite in the era where kids have got TVs in the bedrooms, are we? Not yet, not just yet. I mean, some do, but older kids, you've got to generate these audiences at the ages of six and seven. I think I'm not alone in... But, yeah, sorry, Mark, but just wasn't... to, just, Mark, okay. just, just to take what Lee was saying there, would you have had a television in your bedroom at the age of six? No. Precisely. So, you know, the six-year-olds aren't mm. getting drawn into no, the universe. That's true. Go on then, Mark. I was going to say... um, I think I'm not alone in being one of those people that perhaps dismissed that era at the time and it's kind of drifted away from it. But with the advent of DVD, having come back to it and reevaluated it, I know perhaps Simon won't agree, maybe Lee to a, a lesser extent, but I, I feel there's a lot of good stuff in there. Oh, I think masses. it's had a bit of yeah. a bad oh, no, rap. I do, I do, I do. Um, it's... It, it's, as Jay has pointed out, my main issue is with production values. Maybe I should should be able to blank that out. Um, it is hard <clears> to blank that out, though, Simon. I mean, a lot, like I was saying earlier, we're all we all like nice things, nice shiny things that look great, right? Mm. There's a lot of nice shiny stuff in the new series uh, that have got, I think, not particularly brilliant content necessarily. Mm. <clears throat> Forest of the Night. But, um, you know, it's it's all very kind of fluffy and lovely on the outside. And, yeah, it's a bit kind of empty on the inside. Whereas with Sylvester McCoy, you've got great layers. They're brilliant stories. Actually, they're more enjoyable to read in the Target novels than they are to watch, mm. I found, anyway. Mm. Um, and, you know, Curse of Fenwick and stuff like that. I absolutely adore those stories. Paradise Towers, I've, I've re-evaluated it um, since the podcast. And I've, I've um, you know, read the book and things. I still find it hard to watch because the production values are so naff, but I can absolutely understand where what they were trying to achieve. And I so wish that they had the same budget, or not budget, but the same kind of belief and passion as the 1970s because they would have made Paradise Towers something quite extraordinary, actually. I was very, um, I was very lucky at the time in as much as I was at college. I was in my last year of college uh, when the last series uh, before cancellation was on. <clears throat> and I was lucky enough to have a friend who was very much into Doctor Who and had his own video in his bedroom and had loads of recordings and things like that. And he would do much like this podcast does for me now, which is he would watch it and he would be able to glean from it the good bits. And he would come in, we'd come into college the next day after watching it. And I would say, God, that was awful, wasn't it? And he said, yeah, but there was that bit. And then there was that bit. And I'd go, oh, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's like some of the speeches that Sylvester McCoy, there's some lovely bits of dialogue in there, really, really strong. And he would literally type them out for me. He'd have a typewriter. He'd type that, you know. And and sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need that. It was, as Mark said, it was very hard to justify, particularly if you had friends who were very critical of it. You but know. The, but this is why I'll quickly say this is this is why it's been voted down low. It's simply yeah. because of the look of it, because of what we get from it. Even some of the acting isn't great, but actually the content and the ideas and the you know the the ethos behind the series as a whole in the Cartmel era is actually really quite exciting and different and brilliant. It, brilliant, it is brilliant. 
but it just doesn't come across on the screen. It just doesn't come across. It's just like a, a fan film with a bit of extra cash sometimes. Mm. And you mm. sit there going, oh, I just kind of wish I could get past that. Uh, maybe you guys can, but I find it quite difficult. Mm. I mean, I, I, you know, I give myself a slap. My, my, I give my 18-year-old or 17-year-old self a slap and say, you should have been... <laughs> Not in the same way that Lee's been doing the last no, two podcasts. No, no. But you should, you should have been stronger. You should, you know, it was one of those, you know... There's a certain amount of peer pressure, I think, as well. You know, it's very hard to justify a program like that. You know. Oh yeah, that was the area of buying Doctor Who magazine and stuffing it into your bag, making sure no one could see mm, it. Yeah. I was picked on a lot in those in that, in that era, not in that, that era, but more kind of like the Colin Baker and end of Peter Davis. Lee used to shove his inside a copy of Mayfair when he went to go and buy it from Smith. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it was Mayfair. Should we the next one? Is a real shock, actually. Oh, the 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 era that's come third bottom is just five stories long, and if I read out the list of what those five stories are, you'll say, "How on earth has that come in the bottom third of this of this poll?" It's the John Wiles and Donald Tosh era, and it runs through Mission to the Unknown, mm. which is great. Yeah, <laughs> the Myth Makers, which mm. is great. Yeah. The Daleks' master plan, which almost everybody would say was a classic. Mm. It's a beauty. The Massacre, yeah. which is a fantastic story. And The Ark. And, okay. okay. <laughs> I love The Ark. <laughs> well, <laughs> I quite like watch, The Ark as well. I love it. <laughs> but yeah. you want me to put forward a possible reason why this has come well, so Well, we know low. the reason, don't probably, we? Because yeah. no one can watch them. Well, no, Mark. Apart from the arc. Bit, bit more than that is because nobody can watch the four good ones and the only story mm. that's complete from that era that you can sit down and watch is by far the weakest one. I've yeah. got to say, although a lot of people struggle with uh, recons, I would advise anyone who's got any interest in 60s Who, if they've enjoyed what they've seen of the ones that are around, give... Dalek's master plan a go because mm. it's really worth a go. Um, Loose Cannon's version of it is brilliant. It is. It is right. This the, the other interesting thing about this is this is the period of change. This is the first post Verity Lambert era. Mm. This is the guys who took over, and well, regardless of what you might think about the five stories that I've collected together into this era as far as the voting was concerned because their names aren't on all five of those stories and actually Donald Tosh worked on the Celestial Toymaker as well which came after the arc mm -hmm. but his version of the script was superseded by Jerry Davis's version of the script having come from a script by Brian Hales in the first place so Celestial Toymaker is almost a story out on its own as far as all that's concerned mm. but this is a period of change and obviously it wasn't deemed necessarily a particularly successful change because it wasn't very long at all before John Wiles and Donald Tosh were then replaced with uh, Jerry Davis and Innes Lloyd. So It did seem like a bit of a revolving door after Verity left, didn't it? For a yeah. little while there. <laughs> well, only in only at this point. I know, I think what you're confusing is later on when there's lots of job title changes so if you go through the production guides it looks like there's mm. lots of different people doing all sorts of different things but actually all it is is it is after John Wiles and Donald Tosh it's actually you've got two or three years of pretty 
straightforward Innes Lloyd and Jerry Davis mm. before it gets a bit mad again at the end of the 60s. But Wiles and Tosh, they were only there for about four or five stories mm. and they affected some pretty big changes on the series, not in terms of the characters that were coming and going, although obviously you've got the introduction of Dodo and Vicky leaves at this point, but I mean, you know, Susan left and Vicky joined before, so it's not necessarily that. But Doctor Who had been a kids program while very La- while Verity Lambert was making it, and very much so. And all of those stories, even the sort of harder-hitting, darker stories, they're still very much aimed at kids. They're harder-hitting, darker stories for kids. And then Wiles and Tosh come along, and you look at something like The Massacre or The Daleks' Master Plan, and mm. although The Daleks' Master Plan's got the Daleks in it, and The Massacre is kind of fulfilling the brief that you should have historical stories that teach you something, what you've got with The Massacre is something that is way denser. It's not for kids. Yeah, it's way denser than even something like the Aztecs was. Mm, mm. A Dalek's master plan is way darker than even something like the Dalek invasion of Earth was. The Dalek invasion of Earth is an adventure. Dalek's master plan... Dalek invasion of Earth is an adventure that mm. kind of deals with a few issues that have been left hanging over from the Second World War, but in the way the war films deal with those issues, it makes an entertainment of them. Dalek's master plan is an adventure, and there's some pretty hokey stuff going on in the Daleks' master plan. But then they start killing off, uh, inverted commas, companions. Mm. And so they're making... Wiles and Tosh are making a Doctor Who that is perhaps only for a certain kind of kid, rather than just for kids in general, maybe. I think it works on a couple of levels, master plan, because you've got the sort of the epic kind of political intrigue that's going on, but you've also got the sort of chases and, you know... You've still got the Daleks. Yeah, you've got you've got that sort of uh, entertainment factor to it, so I think it works on a couple of different levels. Um, I love that era. I'm very surprised it's come as low as that, but you know, going back to what I said earlier, I suppose it's because you can only see a very small slice of that era. Yeah, the only bit that you can sit down and watch in total is the arc. Which is which is such an odd fish out. Yeah, the arc. That's the funny thing about the arc. It's kind of you can sit down and it's entertaining, and there there are some great ideas that you take out of it. But actually, if you look at it objectively, it's pretty hokey, and there's some pretty dreadful stuff in there. The monoids. We all love the monoids, but we love them because they're so awful. Hey, I love the security kitchen. Oh dear. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah. just going to say, isn't there an equal argument to say that um, uh, you can say, well, people aren't voting for this because you can't watch it, but you could equally say that because they've got this mystique, like you always say about the Celestial Toymaker, JR, yeah. that, that people may vote for them because there's this perception that because there's a mystique about them that they are missing classics. Like Tomb. So, well, there's so few of them here, that's perhaps the problem. Yeah, mm. yeah. Because the other, the other three black and white eras that we'll be covering, Verity Lambert, almost all of it exists. Mm. And when you get to the end of it, um, Derek Sherwin and, um, oh, Derek Sherwin. Peter Bryan? Yep, Derek Sherwin and Peter Bryan. You've got most of those stories existing as well. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, well, we'll come to this next, actually, funnily enough. I've spoiled that for you now. But that's a bit of a surprise as well. In is Lloyd and Jerry Davis. 
a lot of those are missing, but they include the stories that people most want back, I think. Mm. Because that kind of runs through Power and Evil of the Daleks and, you know, Web of Fear, which did come back and all that kind of stuff. Actually, I don't think I have them down for Web of Fear, but, you know, it's that kind of period. It's the monster period. Yeah. Everyone wants more Troughton. Well, basically, yeah. I think the thing about the William Hartnell is, of course, we've got to take the Doctor into account when we're looking at the voting on this. William Hartnell is not a doctor that a lot of fans have got a great deal of affection for. Mm. They may respect the fact that he was the first one, but I don't think they have a massive amount. And I'm talking in general terms, because obviously there are people who do. But I don't think in general terms people have got a massive amount of affection for William Hartnell. So when you're looking at that era, you probably, you know, when you do a vote like this, you don't go into the stories and think, right, those stories are there and that story's great and that story lifts this up and although that story might weigh it down on the whole it's because of this you kind of just go right that was then and that was between that great bit and that great bit and this bit probably wasn't as great as the great bits on either side and it was William Hartnell and you know I'd rather watch Patrick Troughton or even Tom Baker or John Pertwee and you put you you're taking those kinds of things into account I think the thing about these stories is, I think if these stories had been made in the 70s or 80s or were made in the modern day, and of course with all the changes that would be wrought on the tone of it from from those changes, I think they would be regarded entirely differently. They're not... This, this period is not that different from season 7, for example. The John Pert, in terms of its tone, is kind of, it's still ostensibly for kids, but all of a sudden it gets very grown up very briefly before going back to being a kids' program again afterwards. It's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, I suppose it's not at the bottom, really. It's fourth from the bottom, (laughs) if you look at it that way. Mm. Um, But you are right. I mean, there's some heavyweights in there. Um, We're still talking about Wiles and Tosh. Lee. Oh, are you? You're back there. Yeah, well, we'll be on Lloyd's. There as well. well, you know, like you say, the Myth Makers, Dalek's Master Plan, uh, Massacre, all really quite. I think they're all quite brave quite in their own way. Brave, right? yeah, that's it. Brave, different. Um, you know, stretching it a little bit. You know, Dalek's Master Plan. Okay, had a had the feast of Stephen. <laughs> I think, having spoken to Donald Tosh about it, I think his mindset was: this is a kids' program, but you don't have to talk down to the kids. But I think also what he was saying was, right, what was the original mission statement of Doctor Who? And it was basically to teach them something about history and to teach them something about ethics, basically. And I think he was taking that to the furthest extent you probably could at the time. I think think they did a great job of it, but I think in Mm. terms of what you expect from Doctor Who, they maybe pushed it a little bit too far. Of course, you've got the Myth Makers in there as well, which is a very divisive story because as great as it is, it's also, for huge parts of it at least, it's also more or less an out-and-out comedy. (laughs) And there are a lot of Doctor Who fans who, if you did something that was an out-and-out comedy these days, Unicorn and the Wasp's a great example. Mm -hmm. A lot of people absolutely loathe that story because they think it's too much fun for Doctor Who. They're wrong. They are. It's brilliant. Yeah, but <laughs> but in terms of these five stories here, Myth Makers is probably mm. equally divisive. Mm. 
And uh, it was an interesting article in Dot Two magazine. I think Peter Purvis, Purvis was interviewed, um, you know, and he was talking about missing uh, episodes and things like that, and, and about all the changes with the companions. Um, you know, do you think that not having a solid kind of crew in the TARDIS for that period may have been something to do with the low voting as well? Well, still talking about Wiles and Tosh, you've yeah. got you got the first Doctor and Stephen throughout that whole bit. And it's only that Vicky changes for Dodo and everybody's got changes like that during their periods. And Dalek Master Plan. Yeah, but Katerina and um, Sarah sure. Kingdom, they're not companions in the same way as companions who continue on across stories are. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's kind of a bit of an odd... It, it's very dark. Yeah. That, it's like... Because they're not companions, because you've only introduced them to kill them off. Yeah. Well, and was that was that actually the intention though for Sarah Kingdom? Because I I wasn't sure. I thought they were going to try and keep her on, and then they decided not to at the last minute or something like that. For Sarah the, Kingdom, uh, or you know, the, a lot of last minute kind of changes of of who would be Terry Nation wanted the to next, do more with her, didn't he? I think. The next female companion. What? Uh, Terry Nation always wanted to do more with her. I think, unless that was an afterthought. I yeah, maybe. Know. Well, he could have done more with her set previously in her timeline. She's been fighting Daleks when they meet her. Yeah, mm. yeah. I've got one of those old, I, uh, old Dalek books where there's stories of Sarah Kingdom's adventures and things like yeah, that. Yeah, she's great, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's big finish as well. Yeah. But there is a feeling with Katarina that she's kind of um, collateral. Is that the word? Definitely. Mm. You bring her in in order to deceive the audience into thinking she's going to be a companion and kill her off four weeks later. I I think there's also a bit of disingenuousness going on when people are talking about what they did 50 years ago when they were working on this stuff. Because if you look at Katarina, she's killed off too early in Dalek's master plan for there ever to have been a plan to do it any other way, surely. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, from what you read, I mean, it's like she was down to be a, a possible next companion and in fact I think at the time the media painted it that way or whether that was fed to the media by the BBC department or they just picked it up but to kill her off quite nastily I think in the quite early on it's uh, I don't know it, quite, quite it sounds like it could have been, it, it would be better planned it does make sense but maybe character. they just killed her off because she couldn't handle the TARDIS because she was from a different age mm. and they thought oh we need to get rid of this character I know we'll in kill that her respect, off she's, as a character she's a forerunner of Leela isn't she yeah except she's they didn't have the Pygmalion kind no, of no. idea behind it um, which is a shame because I think it would have worked actually well she was a goner from the start anyway wasn't she because she was convinced that the Doctor was a god and that she was on her <laughs> way to heaven anyway so yeah no you're right <laughs> she just got what she wanted didn't she oh you're mean <laughs> Harsh but fair. It's true. And with Sarah Kingdom, of course, she's a bit like um, the character in The Waters of Mars. Oh, what was she called? Can't remember the name of the character. You know who I mean, right? Mm, mm. Adelaide. Adelaide, in that she comes in and she is a very strong female presence and equal to the Doctor in terms of what happens in the story. But the way the story unfolds she's only right in that story. If you'd imagine if Adelaide had carried on into the end of time, right, she would not have fit in that story. No. 
And Sarah Kingdom, I mean, okay, yes, you can carry these characters on and you kind of end up inevitably, especially during the 1960s, watering them down a bit. So Sarah Kingdom could have carried on, but she feels appropriate to that story. She's Sarah Kingdom Dalek killer. She's in a 12-part Dalek story, killing Daleks. And at the end of the 12-part Dalek killing story, the Dalek killer dies. Hmm. You know, she's she's in that story because that's her story. And what a way to go as well. Well, yeah. Shall we go on to then to Innes Lloyd and Jerry Davis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, the funny thing about this is, yeah, well, this, the way I uh, put it down, it goes from the Celestial Toymaker up to the Ice Warriors because after the Ice Warriors, then the changes are starting to come in and the other guys are starting to make their presence felt more than these two guys. And actually, it suits these two guys rather more because what happens after the Ice Warriors is the enemy of the world, which shares mm-hmm. far more in common with things like the invasion or the ambassadors of death than it does with stories like the Moon Base or Power of the Daleks or whatever. These guys, Innes Lloyd and Jerry Davis, they come back in <clears throat> and they make Doctor Who a children's program again after... Five stories in which it's a bit more ambiguous about what it is. But they kind of do it in a fairly dull way. They pretty much just keep telling the same story over and over again. And although they're very successful with it, I it's when you look at it, the people who voted on this perhaps look at this period and think there's not a lot of variety there. And although there's some great stories in that period... And some very well-remembered and some very important stories in that period, The Tenth Planet and The Power of the Daleks. And you've also got The Evil of the Daleks and things like Tomb of the Cybermen. Yeah, but at the same time, you've also got things like The Gunfighters, which in spite of the fact that some people really like it, there are still, still some people who really don't. And you've got things like The Savages and The Smugglers and The Highlanders, which are the less well-regarded of the historical stories and sort of... Things like the Underwater Menace and the Macra Terror and the Faceless Ones, which are, although they may be stories that we can enjoy and they may be stories that we really like, they're not ones that have classic status. Mm-hmm. I think this period within is Lloyd and Jerry Davis, I think Doctor Who's probably in some ways more consistent, but I think that consistency is probably of a lesser imagination and maybe a lesser quality than some of the other eras. And I think, therefore, and this is the, you know, this is definitely the less loved rather than the most hated. I think Innes Lloyd and Jerry Davis have just lost out a bit because there's a bit less love for them than there is necessarily people who say, no, I don't like those stories. I think people like those stories. They just don't yeah. love them as much mm. as they do with other eras. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is kind of uh, the monster era as well isn't it i mean there's a lot of well it's the start of the monster the era yeah you've got you know tomb of the cybermen's in there uh the hefty s- chunk of snowmen. missing episodes as well yeah the ice warriors the yeah. snowmen they're all there evil of the daleks you know it's yeah it's strange i i probably would have put i don't know this thing seems to be quite low i i quite like mm. this era i get yeah, quite excited too. about it when i, I went through a phase of listening to the audio cds yeah me and too these are all ones, you know, and JR, you just rattled off 
all those titles, and they're all ones that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Well, yeah, but if you look at the other eight eras that are going to be in the other two podcasts, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it. They're all eras in which there are stories that people, and, you know, often a lot of stories that people genuinely have a lot of love for. You've got to remember, we're Doctor Who fans. We love all of Doctor Who, right? <laughs> but But we love all of Doctor Who, but there are certain bits we love slightly less. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you look at it, most of the rest of Doctor Who and pretty much all of Doctor Who that we'll be talking about in the next two podcasts exist. There are very few missing stories. So it's very easy to love a lot of those. And I think the juggling in the next two podcasts is just a case of, you know, certain fans of certain bits coming out slightly on top of others. I think it's a case of this is everybody's third choice. Do you know what I mean? I think it also speaks a, uh, a lot about the, the quality across that 50-odd year period that this is coming in as low towards as it the does, bottom yeah. end. Yeah. Mm. So you can see yes. it, you can look at it as a positive. You just made the same point I was trying to make, but a lot more succinctly. Thank you. He's been mm. very nice to us at the moment, isn't he, Joe? Have you noticed? Yeah. It's not going to last. <laughs> no. What does he want? <laughs> no, the, gun, the gunfighters. I mean, you can't get better than that, surely. That's that's definitely one of the best of the entire black and white era for me. <laughs> It's a great one for Hartnell as well. Got to say, it's one of his better performances. Shoot, shoot the singer. I will be very interested to hear where the era with Enemy of the World, Web of Fear, comes in. Because I think that will have a certain. Well, yeah. I I don't really want to use the word distortion, but I think it will. I think it will affect people's voting. I think it probably has. Yeah. It's fresher in the mind, isn't it? You know. Yeah, absolutely. But but also they've been. They're just so damn good. Well, this these stories here, and this is a kind of a period of, in spite of the consistency, there's kind of a slight flux going on in that by the end of... What on earth is going on in the background now? Sorry, that's me with the book. Okay, by the end of this, it's very established that Ice Warriors, Tomb of the Cybermen, Abominable Snowmen, it's very established that... Um, this is Doctor Who now. This is the Doctor Who that we will grow to know and love. But this is the period, and I've said this many times, where Doctor Who finds itself. And whenever somebody's finding themselves, or whenever something is finding itself, it's kind of tentative at first. So you've got stories like the Macra Terror, say, where you've kind of got that base under siege thing going on, right? But the monster in the Macro Terror is like this ridiculous crab thing that you never actually get to really see. You know, we've got photographs of it now, but on screen in the story, it basically never turns up. Right, who in their right whereas, mind use crabs, eh? Whereas in the Cybermen stories, for example, the Cybermen are all across all of the episodes, right? So they're kind of finding their way into turning Doctor Who in what into what it becomes. And... I've said this before as well. I think Barry Letts consolidates it from about season eight onwards. And that's when Doctor Who becomes the program that we know it to be nowadays. But this is where Doctor Who is tentatively finding its way there. But with anything tentative, if you're going to do a vote like this, where it's about what are your favourite bits, you're far more likely to vote something that does the same thing more strongly you're voting for the quintessential episodes, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. You're going to vote for, you're going to vote for season ten above season four. You know, you you're going to. Well, 
I think most people probably would. <clears throat> but you, oh, perhaps that's not the best example. Season eight <laughs> or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're gonna vote Sorry, for the I'm bits. Just being a pedant. You're gonna vote for the bits that are more consistently very strong above the ones that are more consistently moderately strong. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Aren't you? Anybody's gonna do that. So, like you say, this period here, I mean, you look at the Hartnell stories that they do, you've got the savages in there, you've got the smugglers in there, you've got the war machines in there, which is just slightly off-centre Doctor Who. The war machines is kind of what Doctor Who's going to be like in the 70s, Mm -hmm. but it kind of isn't, because you've also got people calling him Doctor Who. And actually, that story is very like what John Pertwee would be like, where he walks in and he he knows the politicians and all this kind of stuff. And the the central tenet of the story is the post office tower. You know, you've got lots of stories in John Pertwee's era where it's installations or power stations and things like that. It's not really very far removed. But if you're going to look at, say, whether The Claws of Axos is a more quintessential Doctor Who story than... The War Machines, you're going to say, well, Claws of Axos is a bit hokey, but the monsters are great, and it feels like Doctor Who, whereas The War Machines is probably a better story, but the monsters are crap, and you've got people calling him Doctor Who, so it doesn't feel like Doctor Who. Mm. Mm. Yeah, what's happened to me in the time I've been doing this podcast is I feel like I'm almost in mourning for the historic stories. Because when I was younger, I really couldn't have given a flying you know what for <clears throat> fig flying. flip yeah that's the word um for the historic stories and uh, as i've said before in this podcast is apart from the book of the highlanders which i absolutely adore and i watched a reconstruction and i was quite disappointed if i'm honest personally but um but i kind of feel morning I, I, I don't know could they do a purely historic story now it would have to be a really strong story i think because I was um, only only today I watched um, Robin Robin of Robin of Sherwood Robot of Sherwood with my daughter finally, and um, is that possibly the closest we've got to a historic recently? Yeah, well and we said that on the podcast, didn't we? We did, yeah. yeah. But it's still got an element of sci-fi, big element of sci-fi through it, obviously with the robot. Yeah, yeah. So mm. not really, it's not purely historical, is it? Well, no, it's I not. Think... No, no, I'm saying that's the sad bit. It hasn't, and it, it's a shame it wasn't purely historic. And and yeah, very even the unicorn and the wasp. You, you, you've just got the wasp in it. Yeah, but that you know that's that's closer, I think, because you've only got one element, mm. and it just happens to be a giant animal that we have on this planet as well. Mm. I think it's an alien, but it looks but, the same. But when Mark and Jay are talking about quintessential Doctor Who, as it always oh, got to have a sci-fi yeah. element, element, because it is, well, no, this is no longer <clears throat> part of the show, is it? Well, this is Jerry Lloyd, Jerry Lloyd, Jerry Davis and Ennis Lloyd were responsible for phasing out the historicals. Mm. Like I say, they turned, or they started the process that turned Doctor Who and what we into what we know it as now. And the, the historical stories disappeared during their period, this period. Mm. And nowadays, you look back on it, and the historicals are an historical artefact. We don't have them now, and they don't feel like Doctor Who, because the vast majority of the 52 years of Doctor Who hasn't had purely historical stories. So they feel like an odd something out. 
And again, that's probably a reason why this period hasn't necessarily done as well, because it's got this odd section at the start of it where you've still got historicals. So it feels like, in that respect, it feels like two halves of something rather than a consistent whole of something. The consist- Yeah, go on, sorry. I was going to say the consistency is the sort of gradual change into installations being beset by monsters. Mm. So one of this this kind of feeling that the historicals are kind of like the Doctor goes to the supermarket. They're kind of like the in-between adventures where nothing mm. much important happens. I spoke to Robert Sherman at an event uh, in Exeter that you guys were at as well. And uh, I said to him, oh, do you think there would ever be um, a chance of just a purely historical coming back? And he was of the opinion that the way that showrunners work these days is that each story has to move the overall story arc on and as much as you can have you know, interesting historical characters, it's not going to push that overall story forward. And also, and also these days, there is one of the criteria when you sit down and say, right, what is this episode going to be? Is And going back to season series, series seven, where they said, right, each week is going to be a different blockbuster movie type of thing. Yeah. That's kind of what Russell T. Davis was doing from the start and Stephen Moffat has had to continue doing and the next showrunner after him will have to do. Each story has to have a strong central idea that sells itself as Doctor Who. Every week it has to be, if you had 500,000 new people who tuned in just for this one week, you've mm. got to sell the idea of Doctor Who to those people yeah. so that when they come back the next week, even though the story's moved to an entirely different location and it might be in the past or the future, they still get the essence of what Doctor Who is and it has to be the Doctor fights the monsters. That's what Doctor Who is these days. Yeah. Mm. You can tell any story you like as long as somewhere in that story, Doctor Who is fighting the monsters. It's funny you think about something like The Empty Child. Um, the historic aspect of that is pretty strong. And it does give you a feeling of that era. Well, it's maybe very that's... faux. <laughs> There's nothing in that story, really. No, well, yeah, okay. It's it might feel like flavor. it. It's There's the way a... it's filmed as yeah. well, don't forget. It just really gives you yeah. the atmosphere of what you imagine it to be like in those it doesn't actually tell you anything about the war or anything about the people who fought in the war or no, anything I about the people not. who were left behind, not really. No, I'm just thinking of one that where it really does give a flavour of that era. But yeah, no, you're right, it's kind of like a watered-down, yeah. um, purified. Yeah. None of them really do in the modern age, and this is why I think Stephen Moffat has, to a greater or lesser extent, not entirely, but to a greater or lesser extent, phased them out. He's certainly shaken up the past, future, present format that Russell T. Davis had going. He's mm. got rid of that almost altogether. Mm. I mean, you still get occasions where you've got a story set in the future, followed by one in the past, followed by one in the present, but then you'll have another one in the present and it'll be another year before you get one set in the past, maybe. He's changed the, he's changed the format, but you know, that kind of thing with the historicals that Russell T. Davis had going was he'd throw in a name and you'd be impressed enough by the name that it didn't mm. matter that the story wasn't really telling you anything about the period. It may tell you something about the name and it might tell a story set in that period, but the story wouldn't be about the period. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, one thing in Series 9 that I'm very glad is coming back is going to be some uh, cliffhangers. Yes. Mm. I don't know if Stephen Moffat was listening when you asked me last time I was on what I'd like to see, and I said I'd like to see two parters, and there you go. (laughs) Thanks, Stephen. From Toby Warehouse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, one from Toby Warehouse, and I do believe there are two more as well. Oh, that'd be fun. Be interesting. Yeah. Right, should we wrap it for this week? That's quite a short episode, but I think that's kind of nice not to do another two-plus-hour episode. Mm. And <laughs> uh, poor listeners. Well, next week, I well, the plan is, and it doesn't always go to plan, but the plan is next week to do another box-out episode. So next week we'll be talking about something other than Doctor Who again. Depending on, we're recording this, well, we're recording this on the same night as our first box out episode's gone out. So if we get loads of hate mail for it, perhaps we'll change the plan. <laughs> but as things stand, we're going to be talking about. Don't normally stop you. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> as things stand, we're going to be talking about some more movies next week. And the week after that, we'll come back with part two of this look back over these eras. Okay. And, and that'll be the format for the next few weeks. We'll be alternating between those two things. All right. We've got no emails because our last podcast only just gone out, like I said. Uh, so, in that Mark case... Has Mark heard it? Does Mark, has Mark got an opinion on it? Has he heard it? Yes, he's heard I it. I quite enjoyed it. Yeah? <laughs> only quite. Well, yeah. Yeah, who was the best? <laughs> um, Simon. Yeah. Mark, if you want to be on this podcast again next week, do you want to yeah. revise that answer? Yeah, Sorry, yeah, cloaked, Lee was the best. That's a cloaked compliment. <laughs> what he really means is that finally Simon was talking about something he knew about. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Yeah. For this week, then, I was JR. I was Lee. And I was Simon. I was Mark. Oh, sorry, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> got out of the habit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm glad you've missed me. Oh, I have, though. I have. <clears throat> Okay, I was JR. I was Lee. I was Mark. And I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon. about you Simon excellent oh that was enjoyable yeah it was a bit of a laugh wasn't it <laughs> it was uh, it wasn't quite the podcast I thought it would be when we started yeah sorry about that <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a weird one though doing I think it's really Actually, interesting it's interesting but it's very we, hard to could we do some more on the missing episodes could we I mean I don't mind doing my homework on it and watching recons could do Possibly. I wouldn't find the time to watch any. But you know the well then, enough anyway, though, don't you? 
Mm, some of them. There are some I really don't know very well at all. Well, didn't you at one point want to do um, a retrospective on season four or something like that? Or did I imagine that? In yeah. list of yeah, yeah. topics. In yeah. the spring, maybe around April or May time. May, mm. probably. I think April's going to be a whole month of celebrating um, ten years of New Who, to be honest with you, yeah. in one mm-hmm. way or another. Not deliberately, I think it's just accidentally turning out that way. Fair enough. No, that seems like a good idea. In fact, oddly enough, I'm going to have one episode which is just going to be me and a 16-year-old boy talking about what it's like Ooh. to be... But this is... Yeah, but it's somebody from another podcast. Oh, that's all right then. Uh, but it's going to be talking about seeing the new series through new eyes and seeing the old series through the eyes of somebody who's come to it as a child of the new series. Mm-hmm. I think that that's might be an interesting conversation. Yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier. Be quite That would be a fascinating one for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's going to happen in April. How are I you going to react if he says something you really love is a load of bobbins? Well, I'm going to tell him he's wrong, and then, <laughs> I'll, and then I'll explain to him why he's wrong. A load uh, of bobbins. It's getting to practice now. You're a dad, Jr. Yeah. <laughs> but that, but that, I've got a few things like that planned, and it looks like they're all going to happen in April. So weirdly, April's going to be a weird month with probably two or three guest podcasts, which is, which hasn't. Which hasn't been planned, but it just looks like that's when they're all going to happen. So, but then we've got a load of other things as well, because there's a couple of things I want to do, like I want to start episodes where we look at a specific companion, and we look at the story through their, the various stories they were in through their eyes, you know, from that angle. Like, the first one would be Adric, and we look at all of Adric's stories, but we look at how Adric is in those stories, and how those stories are Adric stories, do you know what I mean? Mm. We don't say, oh, Full Circle was great. We say, ah, here are the bits of Full Circle that work really well for Adric, and here are the bits of Full Circle where Adric works really well for the story. And we go through his stories like that, right? I'd like to start through the companions and do, maybe not all of the companions, but I'd like us to have a thread where we go through the companions. I'll tell you something else I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it'd be easier to start this with a few new series stories, but I wouldn't want to limit it to the new stories. You know how we've done an entire episode on, say, for example, In the Forest of the Night, because it was our review of In the Forest of the Night? Mm-hmm. I think we should experiment and choose a story from some point in the last ten years and do an episode just on that story. Yeah. So it's like yeah. we're doing the review of that story when it came out. We won't pretend we're doing the review of that story when it came out, but I think we should watch it the night before we do the episode and do an episode just on that story. Sure, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, we've got a bit to work on there, haven't we? Because we only started... When did we come in? Season well, seven? Well, only season seven, yeah, so yeah. we've got loads. And then yeah. we can do the same with some classic series stories. But I just think that would be an interesting strand because, you know, we're going to get... It won't be long before we've done all the seasons. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know we've done all the doctors, and you know there are only so many. We you know we've done the subjects like uh, uh, one thing that I thought that we could do coming up is all the celebrity guest stars, like everything from Nicholas Parsons to well Paul Kay's coming up, <laughs> but obviously yeah. Peter Kay. Everything from Nicholas Parsons to Peter Kay. Cool and we do an episode on which ones work better, sure. and you know that kind of thing. Want to do that in around May time? Or possibly even, possibly even before the anniversary, that might come up. It depends how things go, whether we miss any weeks or whatever. That'd be quite fun. Yeah. Well, that was interesting. Yeah. Tonight, Robot or Sherwood on Blu-ray, they haven't reinstated the beheading. 
No, they haven't. Yeah, you're right. That's odd, isn't it? It is a bit. It's not even a deleted scene, is there? No, that's very... I'm kind of glad, in a way, because I think it spoils the story. I, but yeah. it would have been interesting to see it in colour. We like it in transmission format, don't we? But yeah, no, it would be nice to have the option. Yeah, well, there you go. Mm. I was going to say, actually, the odd thing about doing this tonight, podcast like this, is every 15 or 20 minutes you've got to completely reset and think about something totally new, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. I didn't realise how much of an issue that was going to be until we started <laughs> doing it, and it became quite apparent. Also, you're mentally sort of thinking, oh, right, okay, so you said from that story to that story, so I'm thinking, right, okay, so that encompasses these stories, and yeah. you're trying to think of... It was difficult, wasn't it? It's interesting I there is a flavour to I it, think it though, kind of there? There's definite, yeah. there's definite yeah. flavours to these chunks. Well, it's a very interesting podcast to do, but it's not as easy as some of the other podcasts we've done. No. <clears throat> if you're talking about one thing throughout the entire thing, whether that be companions or male companions or whatever episodes we've done, you're at least you at least got an angle on everything. But on this, it was weird because you also you're not just resetting from talking about one era to another. You're also saying this is the era that came bottom, and yeah. then 20 minutes later, you're talking about an era that was that wasn't the one that came bottom. So you're kind of mm. resetting there as well. But then there's enough of our general sort of bollocks and <laughs> malarkey in between to, well, particularly slapping his. But, yeah, um, a lot of slapping. There was a lot of weird background noise tonight. Next time we do it on Skype, we've got to watch that. I thought, well, yeah. Lee, as I say, Lee's bought me oh, a copy of Biology. No, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. No, I was going to say, plus you, I don't know where you think the microphone is, but there's some points where you were very loud and some points where you were very quiet. Oh, God, I thought I had, I was fairly close most of the time. Okay. Yeah, no, you're kind of drifting in and out quite a bit. Okay, I'll stick a bit of compression on it and I'll sort it. No, it should be okay anyway. I mean, you can hear you at all the times. It's just that sometimes you're like really loud, much louder than everybody else, and sometimes you're. Do you know what it is? I've given me the good microphone, see, because I'm such a bloody gent. Oh, that's Uh, that's not going to happen. That's the road to ruin, isn't it? It's a sure mic, isn't it? It is, yeah, but it's right. I'm going to go off and have a pee and make a cup of tea before bed. Oh, thanks for sharing. I'll say good (laughs) night. And when's the next one? Oh, we'll be up on the group when the next one is. Okay. Next one's going to be in person again because it's going to be uh, the single films, Close Encounters in 2001 and stuff. Sure. Independence Day. Did I put that'll anything down for that? I don't know. I can't no, remember. we didn't put things down for that. Okay. The one after that's the one we're putting things down for. So uh, I'll ask right. you. No, the next one is, I think it's four, five, maybe even six big single movies. Sure. There's no real question about what they are. They're just the really big ones. Close mm-hmm. Encounters, 2001, mm-hmm. Independence Day, uh, I think there was a couple of others. Uh, it's on the group. I'll remind you. Yeah. Before we come to talk about it, I'll remind you what they are. Uh, I've got enough to say about those forever, really, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. We talk forever for those. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be an easy one. Yeah. And Mark, look at when the date is, and if there's any chance you can come and join us at Simon's house. Yeah, it would be nice. It's just... The way things are at the moment, it's a bit tricky to yeah, I know. to get out and about. But um, yeah, it's been really nice catching up with you guys. Yeah, you too. 